Well, if it wasn't for my conviction of the authority of Scripture and God's command to preach His Word, I'd say we could all go home now. Uh, But because Scripture tells us to be diligent in reading Scripture and studying Scripture, that's what we're going to do. Over the course of this semester, we have been studying through the book of 1 Timothy on Wednesday nights as a youth group. And in this letter, we have seen Paul, its author, address a number of specific types of people. We've seen him give instructions to teachers in the church. We've seen him list qualifications for the leadership of the church, both the elders and the deacons. We have seen him uh, challenge uh, the rich in this world to prove their faith in Christ by being generous and willing to share with those in need. We've seen him challenge uh, slaves in this world to uh, in their relationships with their masters. But behind all of these specific instructions lies Paul's general reason for writing. And he tells us in chapter 3, verse 15, that he writes so that, the, so that people will know how they ought to conduct themselves in the household of God, the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. And the reason that he was so compelled to write with this agenda was because false teaching had crept into the church in Ephesus. In fact, the leadership of the church, the teachers from within the church, had drifted away from a gospel-centered focus. And so he writes to address the problem of false teaching in the church. And as a youth group, we have covered on Wednesday nights this entire letter, passage by passage, except for Paul's final exhortation to Timothy in chapter 6 of 1 Timothy. So if you have your Bible this morning, I would encourage you to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 20 and 21. 1 Timothy chapter 6, we're going to read verses 20 and 21. So follow along with me as I read these two verses this morning. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and in so doing have wandered from the faith. Grace be with you. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this word this morning. We thank you for your word, Lord. We ask that you would speak to us through your word, by your spirit now. In Christ's name, I pray. Amen. Well, literal translation of verse 20 begins with, O Timothy. O Timothy. Now, some of our English translations include that O, others don't. We might say, well, that's really no big a deal. O Timothy, Timothy means the same thing. This is, this is a direct address to Timothy. But that O is important because it sets the context for what Paul is about to say. You see, Paul is contrasting Timothy, this man of God, this young pastor, with these false teachers in the church. And he's saying, Timothy, don't be like them. And so he says, O Timothy. And that O keeps us from reading this, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care, on and on, just like a casual conclusion uh, to his letter. In fact, this is the climax of the letter. This sums up everything. Paul says to Timothy, O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. So what has been entrusted to Timothy's care into all Christians' care. And it's this. It's the truth of God's Word. It is the gospel message. And so essentially, Paul is telling Timothy 
as well as the rest of us believers and all believers to guard the gospel. I went through a period in high school, my, I think it was actually during my senior year, where my friends and I loved to play paintball. And it all started when for one of my birthdays, a couple of my friends went in and they bought me one of those cheap, like $25 pump paintball guns from Walmart. And so we went out that night and we found a semi-safe place to uh, discharge that gun. And we found that there was a lot of potential for a good time in that little device. And so it wasn't long before four or five of us had these paintball guns and we began having periodic battles in the woods behind my friend's house. And our favorite game to play, our favorite paintball battle to play, was Capture the Flag. Now, you know that Capture the Flag is not uh, specific to paintball. It can be played a number of different ways. Uh, But the most reasonable way to play, we thought, was to divide up your team. And and it was played on a, a battleground or woods or a field, whatever you want to call it. And each team had a fort. And by fort, I mean a couple pieces of plywood that were kind of propped up against each other. So this team had a fort with plywood. This team had a fort with plywood. And that fort housed the most prized possession of the team, which was, of course, the flag. And the object of the game was to capture the other team's flag, hence the name. And at the same time, to keep your flag from being captured by the other team. And so we would usually divide up something like this. We'd assign this person, you're, you're on offense. You're like the forward in a soccer game. And you're going to go and you're going to make every effort to get that team's flag. Unless you get shot, of course. If you get shot, you have to go back to your fort. And you'll want to go back to your fort before you can pursue that flag again. So that was the forward. But you also had somebody that was a watchman. And it was his job to guard the fort because the fort housed the flag. And if you lost the flag, you lost the battle. Well, this is the picture of 1 Timothy chapter 6. Paul is telling Timothy, and by nature of Scripture, the rest of us, to guard something, to guard the gospel, to protect it, to preserve it, and to pass it on to future believers. Now, Timothy uh, was a leader in the church. He was a young pastor. He was someone that had been commissioned to preach and teach the Word of God. And those that are in leadership positions in the church are especially called to guard the gospel. And if you'll turn back uh, to chapter 3 of verse Timothy, uh, this is why in our qualifications for leadership of the church, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, Paul lists that a teacher, an overseer in the church, must be able to teach. Likewise, verse 9, deacons uh, must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. In other words, they need to know Scripture, they need to be committed to Scripture, committed to protecting it, and passing on the message. But, no believer is off the hook. This is not just a command for those that teach, and a number of you teach in different capacities, there's those, those that preach, those that teach Sunday school, those that teach VBS. We could go on and on. In fact, most of you, if not all of you, at some point are teaching Scripture. I hope so. If you're a parent, I hope you're teaching Scripture to your children. Uh, and all of us, when we teach, we are especially responsible to make sure we are teaching the truths of God's Word. And we're responsible to make sure that those that are hearing it are hearing it and hopefully understanding it. But no believer is off the hook. We are called to guard the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And we can't guard the gospel. We can't guard the truths of God's word unless we know them, right? We necessarily have to know them in order to know when we hear something or see something or read something that is contrary to that message. Now, graduates, you've heard the gospel message. Many, if not all of you, have heard the gospel in your homes. Your parents have invested this message in you. And if you haven't heard it at home, I know you've heard it in this place. I know your church family has invested in teaching you this message. And the call here, the command here, is to guard that message, to know it, and to protect it. Now, church, if you haven't heard the gospel message, you're going to hear it this morning because it's important. It is that central to our faith. Now, by gospel message, I don't mean um, a prayer. I don't mean a manipulative message that persuades people to make a decision. By the gospel message, I don't simply mean belief in God. Remember, even the demons believe in God. And I don't mean something that seeks to catch the attention of us in our consumeristic, all-about-me society that simply throws an appeal at us, you want this, this is good, without ever saying a word about our condition before or without Christ. So what is the gospel? Unfortunately, it's not what we often hear uh, on television in the name of the gospel, in the name of God's word. It's not what we often hear on the radio. It's not even what we sometimes hear from pulpits. The gospel is found in scripture, and we need to make sure that we know it so that we recognize non-gospel messages when we hear them, and they are all over the place. So what is the gospel? The gospel is this, in a nutshell. The gospel is that all humanity has been created by a good God, a good creator, a God who is perfect in every way, who is righteous, who is compassionate, gracious, forgiving, merciful, loving. And he's also just. But each of us living today, and each human being that has ever existed, God's most prized creation, created in his image, created to be in intimate fellowship with him, each one of us has time and time again turned away from a good God, that God, our creator God. We've made our lives about us, centering our lives about us rather than about him. And because of that, we deserve his judgment. He is our creator, and he's worthy of our devotion. He's worthy of our praise. But remember, I said that God is a good God. God is a loving God. He's a merciful God. And so he came to us to provide a way for us to be right again with him and live the only perfect life among us, Jesus Christ, God's son, before laying his life down as a sacrifice for you and for me, the only adequate sacrifice so that we could be made right again with our creator. And by believing in him and the gospel message in faith, you and I can be right with God. And we can experience eternal life in the presence of our creator, but, but not only that, we can live in light of knowing that truth now. And have an intimate relationship and fellowship with him today and every day. But it's an urgent message. Why? Because there are people all over the place that don't know that message or haven't believed that message. And so we don't just receive that message. We learn it and we pass it on. We guard it. We protect it. We preserve it. We transmit it to future believers so that there might be some that come after us 
that are devoted to the God that we serve, the God of Scripture. Now, Jesus is the central character of the Bible. The gospel is the hinge point of God's Word. And when we begin to hear things that, that, that attempt to reduce the centrality and the importance of Jesus Christ and the gospel message, we're on dangerous, dangerous ground. So know the gospel message. Now, I'm not saying that the rest of Scripture is not important by any means. Don't hear me saying that. I think those that know me well know that we stand under the authority of Scripture. And this is why I believe it is important that we regularly, expositionally work through books of the Bible. But at the same time, if we're not careful, we can get bogged down in things that perhaps God doesn't fully intend for us to know. And so we read all of Scripture in light of the gospel message. The Old Testament points to Jesus. The New Testament talks about Jesus and talks about our lives as Christians in light of Jesus. The gospel. We must know the gospel. Unfortunately, many today want to over-spiritualize Christianity separating us, causing these spiritually elite people that are in the know and they have access to to knowledge and things that the rest of us don't, that's not biblical. The Spirit of God is in all of us as believers and God has made himself known to us through this book and we can all learn and study and know this book on equal ground. Others over here want to under-spiritualize Christianity, explaining everything through science and reason. And so when they come across things like the virgin birth and the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus, they get hung up on that. They can't buy into that. It's not logical. We can't explain it through the laws of reason in this world. And so they simply make Jesus a good moral teacher. That's dangerous ground as well. Others want to moralize Christianity, making it a list of do's and don'ts. It's completely throwing out the grace of God and that we live by the grace of God. We're saved by the grace of God. And then our actions develop out of the grace of God in our own lives. And others want to focus on the minor issues. Now, Paul doesn't just have in mind here in Ephesus these heresies that are somehow outside of the church. He's talking about false teaching that has come from within So others attempt to focus on the minor issues and neglect the centrality and the importance of Jesus Christ. And this is why when we walk into bookstores and walk down the Christianity aisle, we'll read all sorts of stuff about Bible codes, about if we'll just dig deep enough or or read this verse the right way, then we can predict when Christ is coming again or when the United States is going to collapse as a superpower. That's junk. That's not gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is clearly made known to us in Scripture. And we read everything else in light of that. And we highlight that. We spotlight that. This morning, we, we honor our graduates. But this, like James said, this morning is not about our graduates. Every day we get together as the people of God, it is about Jesus Christ. The gospel is not just a message for any particular people group. It is a message for all people in all places at all times. One of my favorite pastors to listen to preach often says, the main things are the plain things, and the plain things are the main things. 
if we read Scripture for what it says, we'll conclude that it says Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that without Him we're in a dreadful condition, and that we are in need of Him, and the only way we can be right with our Creator is by God's grace. And that's pretty good. The main things are the plain things. The plain things are the main things. Now the picture here, back to 1 Timothy chapter 6, the picture here in verse 20 is of a deposit. In fact, the English Standard Version translates this verse, O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Now when you take some money and you go out and you deposit it into Regions or Wells Fargo or Bank of America or, or wherever you bank, that money doesn't automatically become the bank's money. It's still your money. There may be a fee attached, and you are, you are trusting them to watch after it for you. Now, I'm not talking about a 401K. I'm not talking about a mutual fund. I'm not talking about the, start, the stock market. You may or may not get that money back. I'm talking about taking your money and putting it in a checking account or a savings account or a safety deposit box. You're trusting that bank to watch that money for you, and when you need it, you're going to go back and you're going to get that money. And that reminds me of my grandfather who passed away several years ago. I remember seeing his wallet one day, and he had one of those chains that attached from his wallet to, I guess, his waist. That, but that's another story. He, um, I, I remember seeing in his wallet one day and noticing that he had a substantial amount of cash in his wallet, several hundred dollar bills. And I thought, this is crazy. Where did he get all this money? I mean... By our standards, my grandfather was not rich. Uh, he wasn't poor, but he wasn't rich. Uh, and I had never seen anything like this. Uh, several $100 bills, perhaps over $1,000 in his wallet. And I came to realize the reason that that was so was because he had more confidence in his own ability to keep up with that money than he did with someone else's. Now, ironically, that is not the way that our God operates. The deposit is his. The gospel story is his story. He wrote it, but he has entrusted it to his people. He has entrusted us, you and me, sons and daughters of God, to know it, to preserve it, to protect it, and to pass it on, to be on guard for the truth so that we recognize false teaching when we see it. And the good news is that although he calls us to this task, we're not, we're not left alone to accomplish this task. Look with me at the next page of your Bibles. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. And here we read uh, almost the same phrase that we find in 1 Timothy chapter 6. 2 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. This is Paul speaking again. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. Verse 13, what you heard from me keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in you. The good news is that when you accept Christ, when you come to a place of recognizing that without him you are lost, you are alienated from God, you are separated from God, and you are deserving the judgment of God. But by faith, when you come to, to trust in him for salvation and begin that right relationship with your creator, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in you. 
And the Holy Spirit helps us as we seek to live for Christ, as we seek to be committed to his word, the Holy Spirit helps to make sure that those things take place in our lives. And we take great comfort in knowing that alone we are not able, but he is able to guard what we have entrusted to him for that day, namely our lives. We've entrusted our lives, given our lives to follow after him. And God's Spirit makes sure that when we, when we make that effort, that it is to his glory. So graduates, we honor you today. We're proud of you today. But more than that, we anticipate how God might use each of you for his glory. You've been entrusted with the gospel message. Guard the gospel. Know it. Believe it. Live for it. And speak it. Speak it in classrooms. Speak it in dorm rooms. Speak it in cafeterias. Speak it at baseball fields. And speak it in study groups. Then you'll turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge. By being committed to the gospel, God will ensure that you don't wander from the faith. And as Paul told Timothy, may the grace of God be with you. Let's pray. Father God, once again, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this day. We thank you for every day, Lord. We don't have a day without your presence, without your guidance, without your grace in every one of our lives. So God, I pray that if there are those this morning that need to respond to the truths of your word, that they would do so. Lord, that you would guide us all as we go from this place in a few minutes to live lives that are gospel-centered, that are Jesus-centered, that we would live for you and proclaim your glory. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.